Everybody doing well? Everyone's good, right? Good? Hope everyone got plenty to eat for Thanksgiving, got to spend some time with friends and family. It was good. So uh, if you're new to the church, um, what we do is we go through whole books of the Bible, and, and I just kind of let it fall how it does, and the Bible has always, has, has always kind of landed exactly where we need it, but I find it a little ironic. So in the second chapter of 2 Thessalonians, we're only, kinda, we're only gonna do like eight verses today. It's Thanksgiving week, and we're gonna talk about the Antichrist and the end of the world. But, um, so I mean, it's just kind of an odd, odd timing, but, but it's okay. I think, you'll, I think you'll find it interesting today. It's, it's uh, very interesting stuff. So if you haven't been here, First and Second Thessalonians are letters written from Paul to a church in northeastern Greece, a young church, not young in age, young in how long the church has existed. The first letter that Paul wrote was an encouragement. He was bragging on them, um, telling them to keep doing well and to keep growing the way you are. He mentioned the second coming of Jesus in virtually every chapter of 1 Thessalonians, he talks about the second coming of Christ, not a ton of detail, but keeps mentioning the fact that Jesus is coming back, so be prepared for that. And it seems like things are going good, but Paul had to write a second letter. And so Mike talked about this a little bit last week when he did an intro to 2 Thessalonians, and he did chapter one, that because things were not going as well as they should be going, that a second letter had to be written to this young church. And this time, Paul is a little bit more forceful. You're, you're doing some things wrong. You're believing some things you shouldn't believe. We gotta get back on track. Now, he's encouraging. And in chapter one, he even says, like, we've been called by Jesus, so we have to live a life worthy of that calling. That's what Mike talked about last week. And that's a big deal. That's very, very important. But what we're gonna see is we're gonna see in chapter two, in the first eight verses we're gonna cover, that this church thought that Jesus had already come. In between the first and second letter to, to them, a lot of the Christians were like, Paul, Jesus came, we missed it. Don't know how this happened. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. He has not come back yet. And so he has to correct some things about the, the, the second coming of Christ. So what we're gonna talk about today is this, and something that we still do a lot as Christians in the United States, I'm sure other places as well, but we do a really good job of it here. Sometimes we get so caught up in the turbulence of our times that we forget to prepare for the one who is coming back for us. And so what was happening is, is the, the Christians in Thessalonica, in, in the Thessalonian church in Thessalonica, they were so focused on the, the second coming that they weren't really building a relationship with Jesus. So they bought into a bunch of crazy hysteria. We'll talk about that a little bit today too. Okay, so here's the thing. For you Bible nerds in here, which is a really cool thing to be a Bible nerd, if you're a Bible nerd in here and you wanna do some cross-referencing and do some homework, we're gonna be covering uh, quite a bit from Matthew chapter 24 today. We're gonna to cover some from Daniel chapter nine, and then we're gonna talk a little bit about Revelation chapter 13 and 19. So if you wanna go home and, and hit those up, because listen, we're only, we're only gonna scratch the surface today about a lot of this end time stuff and, and the, the antichrist and the unholy trinity and all this kind of stuff. So we're only gonna focus on a little bit of that. So you have to go, go home and do a little bit of reading. I've taught all of these books of the Bible, Matthew, Daniel, and Revelation. I've taught three times. If you wanna go back and watch some of those, maybe it'll help fill in the blanks a little bit if you're, if you're lacking some information when it comes to this stuff, okay? So all that being said, 
You should have got a notes handout when you came in. Everything's on the screen. Everything is on the app. If you have the Experience Community app, just click on Sermon Notes. Everything is right there. And if you have a Bible, 2 Thessalonians is right after 1 Thessalonians in the New Testament. And so uh, you can go right to that. And we're only gonna do eight verses today. So we're gonna take a very short amount of scripture. We'll have some fun with it, throw some other stuff in there and uh, see where God takes us, okay? All right, good to see you guys. Let's pray and let's dive into it. Father, Lord, we love you. God, I thank you so much for our church, Lord. In the spirit of thanksgiving, God, we just, um, we're thankful, Lord, that we have the freedom to do what we're doing right now. We thank you, Lord, that we can be in a comfortable, safe building, God, and read your word and worship freely. Lord, uh, we're thankful for our church family. God, not everyone in this room has biological family, but Lord, we have each other. We have the church, Lord, and we thank you for that. God, I pray, Lord, that, that when we study your word today, that it blesses us, that it enlightens us, that it brings us closer to you. We pray, Lord, not just for our church, we pray for every church in Murfreesboro. We pray for our other campuses and all the churches in those cities, God. And Lord, ultimately, we, we, we pray as we study your word today that it, that it honors you, that it makes you proud, Lord, that it blesses you and your kingdom, Father. Lord, we love you. We praise you, God. Keep your hand on me as I teach and help every word that come out of my mouth be reflective of your heart, God. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. This is gonna be fun. Hope everyone's ready. Good times. All right, here we go. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be easily upset or troubled, either by a prophecy or by a message or by a letter supposedly from us alleging that the day of the Lord has come. So again, Although Paul talked quite a bit in 1 Thessalonians about the second coming of Jesus, we're gonna find out later that Paul said a lot more to them that wasn't even written down. So they should have been pretty learned about the second coming of Christ, but they were still confused. The source of the confusion were because of rumors and gossip and even fake letters sent to the church in Paul or Silas or Timothy's names, forgeries. So this is important. The new Christians were letting every wild claim of the end times grab their attention and they were acting irrationally. Us hyper-enlightened North Americans, we say, oh, those people of antiquity, they get so bent out of shape about dumb things. If you were alive during 1999 for the 2000 rollover, do you remember the hysteria? <laughs> Computers can't recognize two zeros, right? Everyone's freaking out you know, keeping our computers in the closet because we think they're gonna kill us in our sleep or something. I mean, just people were nuts. And then in 2012, the Mayan calendar ran out, so this has to be the end because those people that ripped people's hearts out of their chests and did sacrifices to false gods, they had it figured out, right? And so we lose our mind very, very easily when we get our eyes taken off the Bible and the things of God. So we need to make sure that we don't grab on to all the hysteria about end times. So here's the thing, Paul was not given all the details of Jesus's return. This was given to John, who wrote the book of Revelation, not Revelations, Revelation, it's one revelation. And John was given this revelation by God that give us all the details, or the majority of the details, about the last seven years on planet Earth before Jesus Christ comes back. Paul was not given all of those details. Paul, though, his job, was to talk to the, to the different churches, mention that Jesus is coming back and say, you don't have to live in fear of this, 
right? You don't have to be alarmed at everything. He wasn't trying to explain every single facet of Christ's return. So here's the thing about that. In the study of eschatology, end times, right? There's a lot that we can agree to disagree on, but we cannot afford to disagree on the fact that Jesus is coming back, right? And we have to be ready. We all have to agree on that. One day Christ will return, and at that moment, we have to be ready for that return. So the three sources of information, or misinformation, I should say, that were kind of rattling the church in Thessalonica were false prophecies, gossip messages, or forgery letters, right? Letters that were, that were forged in their name. So the prophecies were more than likely someone heard from God something, right? They say they heard from God, but it wasn't tested with Paul's writings in the scripture, right? Those were the false prophecies. The messages was, was just straight up gossip. Rumors, my, my neighbor saw a YouTube video that Jesus already came back, we're screwed, right? I don't know what to do. And so people were just taking things way out of context, rumors, gossip. The last thing seems a little bit more vindictive, the people were writing forgeries, right? And they were putting Paul's name on it and saying, hey, we just got this from Paul, look at what it says. But it would contradict the previous letters that Paul had written. And what we learn from this is there is a danger when we get away from the source. There's a danger. Because perceived words from God were not tested by the word of God. The Bible says to test all things. Because gossip was entertained, gossip is a sin, and because people read letters that contradicted the message of Paul, right, and they were trusted, this led to chaos in the church. Of course. This is why the Bible says that we are to test all things by the word of God. This is why we are to be slow to speak. This is why we are to not entertain uh, uh, gossip, and this is why we are not to entertain counterfeit gospels, any writings that contradict the word of God, we are to not entertain those, right? Like the Gnostic gospels and all the crazy things that people take and make you know, movies out of them. And, and well, if you crack this code that we go to the Louvre in France and Tom Hanks is there, and this is all based off, you know, I don't know if you know, that's based off the gospel of Judas. It's a false gospel. And that movie was based off that. And we just need not entertain garbage like that, right? because it confuses and it detracts and it gets us off what we should be focusing on. So when it comes to the second coming of Christ, uh, the Bible is very, very clear about this. You're not gonna miss it. <laughs> Whether you're a believer or not a believer, you're not gonna miss it. The day of the Lord will come. It will be a global event. It will be visible to all people. Revelation 1.7 says, every eye is gonna see it even those that pierced him, right? Even those that, that, that did things blasphemous against God, even those uh, who didn't, didn't believe in him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, which means those people that saw and didn't believe, right? And then they see him, they're gonna mourn because now it is too late. But every eye is gonna see, every knee is going to bow, whether voluntarily now or involuntarily then. And even Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians that Jesus is gonna come back with a shout and a trumpet, you're not gonna miss it, right? Everyone's gonna see it. It's just a matter of are we gonna be ready for it or not be ready for it, but it's gonna be a global and visible event, okay? Now, here's some, here comes some fun stuff. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come 
unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man who is doomed to destruction. He opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he sits in God's temple proclaiming that he himself is God. So Paul tells the paranoid believers in Thessalonica, a couple of things are gonna happen before Jesus returns, okay? So one, you haven't missed it. And two, let me give you some clues or some, some things that are going to take place to let us know that Jesus is coming back soon. One of those things is he says there will be a great apostasy. That means that there will be a great falling away from the faith that a lot of people who claim to be believers will get distracted, sidetracked, or allured into other things, and they will fall away from their faith, okay? The other thing Paul says is the man of lawlessness will be revealed. The antichrist will be revealed. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 24, part of your homework for this, this week, right? That many will fall away, why? Because Jesus says there will be persecution and there will be a rise of false teachers near the end of our time on earth. Jesus also said this, many will fall away, but the gospel will be spread to all nations. Now that sounds contradictory, doesn't it? That the gospel will both decrease and increase simultaneously. How is that going to happen? Well, let me show you how that's going to happen or how it's already happening. Arizona Christian University did a study this year, along with the Pew Research Report, who also did a similar study. The, the study concluded that right now in the United States, 46% of American adults believe in God. It doesn't mean they follow God, it means that they believe that there is a God. Now listen, if it's your first time here, I'm, I'm not a communist, I'm, I'm not like, please don't be afraid of me in any way like that. But I think it is absolutely ridiculous that, that so many Christians have their head in the sand and they call us the one nation under God. Statistically, we are not. We are absolutely not, right? In fact, there are, I think it's something like we're like 97th or something in the world as far as Christians per capita. We're like not, we're not the one nation under God. That's just not us. And to constantly say this, right, is, is really kind of a, a denial of the truth. Not only do only 46% of adults in the United States believe in a God, only 6% hold a biblical worldview. Let that statistic sink in for a second. Only 6% of all people that you meet in the United States view the world through the lens of the Bible. And that's because only 41% of professing Christians believe that the Bible is actually the true word of God. So what we are seeing in the United States is we are seeing a rapid decline, rapid decline of Christianity and the, the propitiation, the, 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 the spreading of the gospel in the United States. We're seeing less and less and less of that. In contrast to that though, the gospel is absolutely exploding in the Middle East, in Iran, in Iraq. It is exploding virtually all over the continent of Africa and most Asian nations. The gospel is blowing up. Christianity is expounding and expanding at rapid rates. So what we are seeing is exactly what Jesus said, that as we get closer to the end of time, the gospel will both be an apostasy and it will also spread to all nations. We are seeing that right now, exactly what Matthew chapter 24 tells us is going to happen. So another thing, we'll see a great apostasy, right? We'll also see the gospel spread to all nations. 
And then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, the Bible says, the Antichrist will be revealed. Antichrist may be one of the most popular and misunderstood people in the entire Bible, right? All you guys, all you 80s kids, just remember that Iron Maiden record and stuff like that. And we, oh, we have so many misconceptions, right? All the 50-year-olds were like, yeah. Anyways, so obviously the Bible wants us to know a little bit about this individual because Daniel writes about him about 164 years before Jesus was born. Jesus spoke of the Antichrist in 31 AD when he was 31 years old. Paul wrote about him in 52 AD right here. And of course, John, who wrote the book of Revelation, wrote quite a bit about him right at the turn of the first century. So he's in the Bible quite a bit. Now, what we know about him is we know that the, the, the Antichrist is not acting alone. He is part of a, an unholy trinity. If you don't know this about the devil, the devil is not very original. He tries to rip off God. He tries to mimic God and what God does. So we know that God is a holy trinity, a father, son, and spirit. And what will happen towards the end of time is Satan will empower two people. He will empower a politician. The Bible calls him the beast of the sea. And he will also empower a spiritualist, a spiritual leader that supports this politician. And the Bible calls that the beast of the earth. So you have the devil, a politician, and a spiritual leader that, that kind of comprise this unholy trinity that the Bible talks about. The one we are specifically talking about here, the man of lawlessness, we get from Revelation chapter 13. Now, when it says that he is the beast from the sea, that doesn't mean the literal sea. Like you're gonna be hanging out at Panama City, some guy comes up out of the ocean, you're like, no, not at 30A, right? And so the Antichrist pops up. That's not, <laughs> that's not what that means. When the Bible says that he came from the sea, that means a sea of people. That means that this is a real human and this real human will be an evil politician. Stretch your imagination for a second, brothers and sisters, and believe <laughs> that one day there will be a hyper evil politician. Anyways, you're, someone in the back's like, he is a communist, I see it. Anyways, <laughs> so this evil politician, this beast from the sea, the Bible says will also be fatally wounded and he will miraculously live through this fatal wound, similar to Jesus. Like I said, the devil is not very original. You have this unholy trinity and the son of this unholy trinity will be fatally wounded and will be restored. So when Satan restores this individual, he will empower this individual and people will view this individual as a God because he had conquered death. This is what the Bible says about the man of lawlessness, specifically in Revelation chapter 13. Now what's gonna happen is this. The Antichrist will oppose everything theistic, not just our God, any idea of God. Look at what Paul says here. He says he opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God because what he's gonna do is he's gonna set himself up as God. So the crescendo of the Antichrist's uh, blasphemy is the Bible says in several occasions, and I'll show you one of them here in a second, that the Antichrist will get so bold and so defiant to God that he will step onto a holy site and he will proclaim to be God. Now, we do not know exactly what that holy site is, but, but there's one that makes a ton of sense, right? So where Solomon's temple once stood in Jerusalem is now a Muslim mosque called the Dome of the Rock. That is the most sacred point on earth to every Christian, every Jew, and every Muslim. That is the, the 56 million, what is it? No, 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 
56%, 4.5 billion people, 56% of the world believe that that is the most holy site on planet earth. So we can easily see if someone stepped onto that site today and said, I am God, that would be a very offensive thing to the majority of the world, okay? So more than likely, this is the site where this, this antichrist will make this declaration. Now, if you're a historian in here, especially if you're a Roman historian, people say, well, he wouldn't be the first to do that. Um, Antiochus has done that, right? Uh, Titus Andromachus has done this. Other people have gone into the, the, the temple of God in Jerusalem and set up statues of Zeus and Jupiter and other gods like that. But what the Bible is talking about here is this is going to be a future event. There have been other abominations that have happened, but this is going to be the final abomination. In fact, the book of Daniel talks about this. Daniel is talking about the Antichrist here, right? And he says, he will make a firm covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of this week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering and the abomination of desolation, this very um, blasphemous act of going into the temple. He even says here, it's gonna be on one wing of the temple before the decreed destruction is poured out on him, before God has enough of this individual and comes back and deals with him. Now that one week that it talks about in the book of Daniel is not a literal week. It's a metaphor or it's, it's an analogy for seven years. And so this seven years is going to be the seven years of tribulation, this, the, the last seven years until Jesus comes back. And what it looks like in the book of Daniel is halfway through that seven years, the Antichrist will get so bold, so defiant, so blasphemous, he will start to persecute Christians, he will claim to be God, so what it looks like in the Bible is the first three and a half years, it's gonna be peaceful. But about three and a half years, it's gonna hit the fan, right? This guy's gonna get really crazy. He's gonna start really persecuting people. And what the Antichrist is, is he is the embodiment of progressive evil for centuries. The Bible says that the spirit of the Antichrist is, is working right now. But one day what's going to happen is as time goes on, evil compounds and it, 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 it moves more rapidly, if you will. If there's any older people in this room, listen, lust has always been a problem. I don't know if you know that or not. In fact, pornography has always been a problem. As early as men knew how to draw women on cave walls, there has always been a problem with lust, right? But if you've lived a couple of years in this room, in the last 10 or 15 years, we've seen because of computers and cell phones and everything else, evil has escalated at a very, very rapid pace, right? Not just with lust, with violence, with everything else, right? So evil has always been there. Evil has always been building, but it's going to escalate, it's going to compound, and it's gonna happen a lot in a short period of time towards the end of time on this earth. The encouraging thing though, is we know that the Antichrist will be dealt with. Paul says he's doomed to destruction. So the Antichrist, the politician, and his false prophet, the spiritual leader, will not be killed by God. They'll be cast alive into hell to be tormented for eternity. Why? Well, because these men killed countless, they will kill countless people, persecuted people on a global scale, they're gonna mislead whole nations. They're gonna commit the most blasphemous evil acts that you can imagine. And this is going to draw the fury of God on them. This is going to bring the wrath of God on them. Look at this, this is a pretty, 
crazy scripture from, from Revelation 19. Revelation 19 is a pretty crazy chapter of the Bible, by the way. Maybe the goriest chapter. It talks about blood that's, you know, about waist high and all these birds feeding on the carcasses of dead people. It's pretty crazy. So, but the beast was taken prisoner and along with it, the false prophet who had performed the signs in its presence. He deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast, 666, and who worshiped its image with these signs. Both of them were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. So they will receive a fate worth, worse than death. But we don't know who this is yet because the Antichrist will be re revealed in its proper time, the Bible says. So let's read about that. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you about this and you know that current, what currently restrains him so that he will be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, but the one now restraining will do so until he is out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. The Lord Jesus will destroy him with the breath of his mouth and will bring him to nothing at the appearance of his coming. So, Paul rhetorically asks the Thessalonian church, he says, don't you remember we talked about all this? You shouldn't be worried that Jesus has already come back because we've already talked about this. I've told you all these things. The problem was this. The, the, they let other teachings of end times, of eschatology, replace the message that God had given the people. We do this so often today. Again, I'm not trying to like say the same things over and over again, but I can't tell you how many people send me emails. Every time the moon looks a little red, I get about 15 emails. <laughs> I kid you not. Have you seen this YouTube video? No, but I've read the Bible, right? So I know that I don't have to worry about that. And there are things that happen in the atmosphere that sometimes, anyways. So every time, right? People would see something or hear something or my buddy cracked this code or whatever the crazy case may be. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. I already told you about this. I already told you how things were going to happen. Read the Bible. So again, we can disagree on minor things, but Paul is saying, you know that Jesus hasn't already come because these things that he told us were going to happen haven't happened yet. This means, listen, I'm gonna get off on a tangent here in a second. This means <laughs> that the Bible has to be our primary source of information when it comes to theology. Now, Christians amen that a lot, but in the United States, here's what we typically do. We'll go buy the new book of whatever woman just has books in Target, right? And we'll think that that is theology, and a bunch of women will read that, and then said author will come out and agree with something that is heretical against this. But because a bunch of people have not read the Bible, they've only read whatever, you know, wash your face or whatever this woman is, they've only read these books, they listen. When they say heretical things because they have not read the word of God, they don't know that they're believing heresy. Amen. When everyone was reading Rob Bell, and I don't mind calling out heretics, if you wanna send me hate mail about that, I'll call out heretics all day long because I don't want you to be around them or read their stuff. But when everyone was reading Rob Bell, but he's so well-spoken, he hangs out with Oprah, how can he be bad? He's bad because he teaches heresy. He teaches evil things. But if we do not read the word of God, the only way to be able to identify, identify counterfeit is to know the real thing. So we have to know the real thing. And then we are wise enough to ingest the good things and spit out the bull crap, right? 
But if we have not read the Bible, we are not, we, we are not equipped to do so. This is where your theology, if you're a Christian, this is where your theology should come from, right? You can read some supplemental material, but this is not supplemental. This is the core. This is the tether. This is the word of God, okay? Just a little side note there. So the word of God says that the Antichrist and the seven years of tribulation are being restrained. They're being held back. Held back by whom? Held back by the Holy Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit of God is restraining, holding back the Antichrist until the appropriate time for him to be revealed. So here's the thing. John says in 1 John that the spirit of the Antichrist is already working right now. But the culmination, right? The embodiment of evil that will be the Antichrist hasn't happened yet. Why? Because God in his infinite wisdom is waiting for a global society that is so evil that they will willingly accept a false God. Let that soak in for a second. We see how evil we are getting as a society to where right now, if a man was fatally wounded and they put up videos about it, or maybe he created some kind of economic system or something that solved all the world's problems, we see how easily, right? Everyone would fall at his feet and worship him as a God. And so the Holy Spirit is restraining this though until the appropriate time. Now, some people believe something that, that, that I, I just cannot get behind. Um, so when it comes to us being raptured out, we talked about that a little bit in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, Christians have a lot of differing opinions on that. I have good friends in this room that come to this church that believe we will be raptured out right when the seven years start. That's called pre-tribulation rapture. I have good friends that believe we will be raptured in the middle. I personally believe Christians go through all seven years before, before we exit out, right? I believe that we go through the seven years. Now listen, regardless of where you fall on that, something that I don't think any of us can get behind is some people teach that when the man of lawlessness is revealed, the Antichrist is revealed, that not only is everyone raptured out, but the Holy Spirit exits humanity. Now, even my pre-tribulation friends believe that people will get saved during those seven years. I believe that as well. But I don't believe people can be saved if the Holy Spirit is completely absent. So that doesn't make any sense, right? So just wanted to point that out. I don't believe that the, the, the Holy Spirit completely steps away from humanity. Now, at the end of these seven years, the seven years of great tribulation, Revelation 16, 16 and 19, 19, it's very easy to remember, tell us that the Antichrist will gather all of the evil armies of the earth. This sounds like a movie or something very, very epic and huge. That he will gather all of the evil armies of the earth and that the Antichrist will go out to the valley of Megiddo, right? And there will be a battle called Armageddon. And this is where the Antichrist thinks he's going to overthrow Jesus Christ, right? So the Bible says that at this battle, all of the armies line up and it's not much of a battle. <laughs> it says that all Jesus does is open his mouth and, and a sword comes out of his mouth, completely destroys all of the evil armies of the world. This happens after Jesus throws the Antichrist and the false prophet into the lake of fire. And it says he just opens his mouth and everything is obliterated. Now, this is important. In Revelation, it says that a sword comes out of Jesus's mouth, right? Now, it's not a literal sword. We know from reading the other parts of the New Testament that metaphorically, the sword that we have is the word of God. So what we are seeing is Jesus has the capability to destroy all evil just by speaking a word. 
Now, not only does Jesus have the ability to destroy all evil by speaking a word, we know from the book of Genesis and we know from the book of John that all things were created by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. So when God speaks the universe into existence, that, that Jesus has the power just by speaking to create all things and to wipe all things out. That's how powerful God's word is. Now listen, we often talk about the word of God. That's, that's this book right here that these were God's words given to mankind. Every word in here is here for a reason, that we are given this book. And if we understand that the word of God can create all things, destroy all things, and recreate all things, right? Shouldn't that make us put a little bit more of an emphasis on reading this book? That we have God's word here, that we can read it. I was sitting with my nine-year-old daughter the other day. She just got this new Bible, a young lady at the church bought for her, just like mine. It's got a different cover, but, but the same translation. And we flipped to the book of Matthew. And I said, Vi, do you see all the red letters here? And she goes, yeah, what does that mean? And I said, that is Jesus talking. And just my, my nine-year-old's eyes are like, oh my gosh. And I said, listen, that's the word of God. That is God speaking to us. Think about that, right? And it's just amazing. There's power in those words, amazing power in those words. But this whole thing is God's word. And if we understand that God's word creates, destroys, recreates, right? Man, that, that means we should read this thing. That's what I'm getting at right there. So here's the thing though. When it comes to talking about the Antichrist or the seven years of tribulation or Jesus returning, all of these things, we need to be very, very careful not to miss the point. So many people are worried about all these different things going on. We're so worried about the times and we're so worried about looking for signs and all these things that people take their eyes off of Jesus. They're so concerned about the second coming that they haven't built a relationship with the one that's coming back. And that's a problem. So what we have to be cautious about, guys, and I'll just tell you, if you've never read the book of Revelation, A, don't be afraid of it. Go, go in it, read it. Again, you can watch videos, all the notes and stuff like that are online. Go back and read it, it's fine. But we have to understand why Revelation was written. Revelation wasn't written so we can crack a code and figure out the exact time Jesus is coming back. Revelation was written just so we would be prepared. So we would be prepared. So we have to be careful not to get into cracking codes. So the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel are, are apocalyptic books. Do you know what the word apocalypse means? It means to reveal, to unveil. Whenever someone tells you that there's hidden codes throughout the Bible, the Bible was not written to conceal information. It was writ written to reveal information to you. Well, Corey, I took every 13th letter and it said that God's coming back Thursday. It's a Thursday, right? That's crazy, that's called gematria. That's what that's technically called, and it's bogus. God did not give you all this information for you to have to crack some code that some guy on Discovery Channel figured out, right? That's not what it's about. We also need to be careful not to listen to hysterical prophets. That guy on YouTube in his basement did not write the Bible. He's probably not an authority on the Bible. Please, just read the Bible. We need to make sure that we don't get wrapped up in, in hysterics and craziness. And I said this a couple of weeks ago. The Bible says, do you know how you know if someone's a prophet? By if what they predict comes true. So if someone gets up there and says, man, God told me, you know, Donald Trump's gonna be back in office by, by this time. He's not, 
So why would people still follow people that make prophecies that don't come true? Right? It doesn't make any sense to me. So if someone says he's coming back Tuesday and it's Wednesday, I wouldn't follow these people. I'm not trying to be a jerk and I wasn't trying to make that statement political. But the Bible says you'll know a prophet by if what they say comes true. Don't fall for these charlatans, man. We also need to be careful not to be looking for miraculous signs all the time. Well, Corey, wait wait a second. I believe in signs and wonders. I, I do too. I believe God does miraculous things. I believe in everything that the Bible talks about. But Jesus said it's a perverse generation that's always looking for a sign. And I think one of the reasons why he said that is one day there will be a charismatic speaker that will come along, along with a charismatic politician, and the Bible says they will do miraculous signs and wonders. And if we are not tethered to this book, a lot of people are gonna get wrapped up in some miraculous signs and wonders, and they're gonna get detracted from good theology and their relationship with God. So we can't miss the point. The point is we have to have a relationship with Jesus. That's the point. The point is, is regardless of when God comes back, we need to be ready. So we look for his return with anticipation. We live our lives with wisdom, right? Also, because I have to address it, because Satan is going to use a politician and a charismatic spiritualist to deceive the world, a politician and a charismatic spiritualist I think that's a pretty clear warning sign to us Christians that we cannot make politics or religious practice idols. What that means is this. If we think that the government, because in the absence of God, the state becomes God. And when we think that the state is our provider, the state is our protector, the state is our defense, the state is everything, right? They educate me, they feed me, they do everything for me, right? When we believe that the state is God, we've made an idol out of politics and politicians. Or when we make religious activity an idol. Listen, coming into these doors every week does not save your soul. A relationship with Jesus saves your soul. This communion we're gonna take here in a second, if you have not repented for your sins, man, that is just Welch's juice and matzo bread. That's all that is. If you have repented for your sin and you are meditating and thinking on what that represents, that's a very, very spiritual thing we're doing. But if we have not addressed the heart, if we just think eating some crackers and juice saves our soul, that's why a bunch of people approach Jesus, right? Jesus said a bunch of people are gonna come up and say, Lord, I did all these things in your name. And Jesus is gonna say, but I don't know you. I don't know you, depart from me. Worker of iniquity, depart from me. That's what he says. Religious activity will not save your soul. And we have made it an idol, especially in the South. I go to church, that's fine. How do you live the other six days, right? I know you go to church. Church doesn't save your soul. It's a part of it, right? It's good for you to be at church. But religious activity does not save your soul. We also have to remember the power of God's word. Listen, in a world that is trying to find its place, in a world that is trying to find its significance, why they're here, right? What is the meaning of life? It's all right here. Your origins are here. Where you're from, your relationship with your creator, it's all right there. It is a beautiful story. And we even get to, we even get to see the end of it. We see that in the beginning of it, we screwed up this beautiful garden that we inherited. But if we're faithful at the very end, we get the garden back. 
There's trees that line the streets, right? That produce 12 kinds of fruit that feed the nations and sustain them forever. We get it back. We get to read this beautiful story of our relationship with our creator. We have to remember not just that, the teachings and the principles of this book help us to live decent, holy lives. Lives that are worthy, like Mike said, of our calling. Lives that honor God, that have purpose and value and meaning. This book tells us how to do that, how to live holy lives, how to live honorable lives. Not only that, this Bible is extremely logical and practical. If you look at the 10 commandments, they are exceptionally logical. Don't lie, don't steal, don't kill, don't want what's not yours. We've forgotten that one very much in our culture and society, right? Even things as simple as the golden rule, just treat other people the way you wanna be treated. If you're in here and your marriage is struggling, Ephesians 5, men treat your wives like Christ treats you. Women respect your husbands. How many marital issues would be solved if we just, if we just followed that one verse? right? In chapter five of Ephesians. If you're in financial trouble, well, Solomon talked about that. The debtor is always slave to the lender. In other words, don't spend money you don't have. No politicians are reading that one either, right? Don't spend money that's not there. And so there's all this logical, practical advice that the word of God gives us. And then the last thing is, the word of God does not leave Jesus's second coming as an ambiguous thing. We will not know the exact day, but we will know the season. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus talks about it a lot. They say, hey, when are you gonna come back? And he goes, well, I can't tell you the exact date, but let me tell you all the things that are gonna happen before I come back. Pretty descriptive. We have the entire book of Revelation. We should not be caught off guard because God warns us, he equips us, he tells us what he expects out of us. There is no ambiguity with God. God is quite clear quite clear. Not only that, listen, God is sovereign. I say this all the time, but I mean it with all my heart. If you're a Christian in this room, you were not designed to live a life of fear. doesn't mean we're stupid, right? Well, I'm going to go like hang out with some rattlesnakes tonight. That's not what that means. That's just idiocy, right? But we are not to live in debilitating fear. That means you don't have to be afraid of evil empires, whether that be ours or a foreign nation. We don't have to be afraid of governments. We don't have to be afraid of persecution. We don't have to be afraid of economic collapse. Even if I'm right and we do live through the seven years of tribulation, we don't have to be afraid of that either because God is not only with us, God is not only in control, you know how it's going to end. I don't know how it's gonna end. Well, just flip to the back of your Bible and it tells you exactly how it's going to end. We are victorious as long as we are with Christ. Not only are we victorious, Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew that in my Father's house are many mansions. If that weren't true, I wouldn't have told you that, Jesus says. Isn't that beautiful? I'm gonna go prepare a place for you, right? As bad as this life may get, it's a blip on the map compared to your eternity. And I'm gonna have a really sweet condo for you when you get there. That's what Jesus says in my terminology. But if you get into towards, towards the back, I love teaching the book of Revelation. When you get to the back of Revelation and all the wars and all that stuff are gone, and then you have this angel showing John heaven. The dimensions are given and he walks him the street and he says, and in the center there was a throne. We know how it ends. 
and we know that we end up in a good spot, right? We just have to hold on. So here's the thing, brothers, sisters, this is for us right now today. In the last two years, a lot of Christians have been distracted by the tumultuous times that we live in. And we have had our eyes so much on the news that we have forgot to look at the good news. It's right here. We're so busy watching fear porn, right? That's what we watch. It's what CNN and MSNBC and Fox and all, it's just fear porn. They just wanna get you riled up so you'll stay glued to that television. You'll keep watching those ads so they can keep making more millions and they just wanna get you glued to that thing, scared to death, right? That's why you never hear anything positive on the news because that doesn't scare people. You want to, they, they want scary stuff. <laughs> but Jesus has good news for you. News of contentment and joy. The news of, 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 of a wonderful eternity with him. That we can have everything we want as long as we have a relationship with God. We need to make sure that we don't get distracted by the times. Our job right now is to simply trust and obey Jesus until he comes back and gets us. Trust and obey. Well, Corey, have you watched the news? No, because it sucks. I don't wanna watch the news. I don't wanna get addicted to that garbage. I mean, now listen, I'm not telling you not to vote. I'm not telling you not to read. I read a lot of books, not any of that. But man, this needs to be our primary source of information of what leads and guides our life. Trust and obey, trust and obey. So real quick, do we find ourselves being more concerned about the times than we do about building a relationship with Jesus? Do we find ourselves more concerned about codes and documentaries and, well, I heard this, and than we are about just building a relationship with Jesus? Have we misplaced our hope in government or even religious practice? Listen, guys, I'm not against government. We need government, right? Jesus affirms government. Paul affirms it in Romans 13 to respect it and honor it. I believe in government, but that's not my hope. That's not my security. Listen, I even believe in some religious practice. I think it's good for you to come to church. I think it's good to take communion. I think it's good to read your Bible. I think it's good to do all these things. But we have to build that relationship with Christ. Have we misplaced our trust? in government, or even religious practice. Are you reading the word of God? Guys, listen, we're gonna do a 40-day fast starting in January. And I just, in that 40 days, you could really knock out a lot of this book. You could easily knock out the New Testament in those 40 days. Start at the book of Matthew. Just, you can read the whole book of Matthew in about 45 minutes if you really wanted to. And all these red letters going back, look at that, I just turned to chapter 24 and 25. It's all red letters. It's God speaking to us that we can get in here and learn about ourselves. We can learn about our creator. We can learn about how to live honorable lives, that the answers are here. If we will just read it and do what it tells us to do. And then the last thing is, guys, do you honestly, you have to be really honest with yourself because I can say this and sometimes I'm like, oh, the world's falling apart. Regardless of what happens in 2022 or 2024 or with the, the US dollar or what's happening with China right now or whatever the case may be, right? At the end of the day, do we believe that we worship a sovereign God that is in control, that is not shocked 
by anything that is going on, but he has a plan for us. Do we understand that he sits on the immovable throne? Do we believe it? Do we honestly believe it? And if we say we do, do we live in confidence that we worship a sovereign, perfect God? Do we really? Do we really? Right? It's hard sometimes. Last thing I'm gonna say, People sometimes say, oh, well, how can, you, how can you say that it's hard sometimes, Corey? John the Baptist, right, was sitting in a jail cell about to get his head chopped off. And he got a couple of his followers and he said, hey, I need you to find Jesus and just make sure that he's the right guy because I'm about to lose my head. You can go back and read it. John said that. The followers of John went and found Jesus and they're like, hey, John's about to get his head chopped off. Are you the Messiah? He just wants to hear it one more time. And Jesus said, yeah, tell him. Tell him I'm the Messiah, right? And then people started making fun of John the Baptist. John doubted, what a terrible person. Go back in your Bible and read it. Jesus turned around to them and he said, there's been no greater human ever created than John the Baptist. What I'm telling you is this, sometimes we doubt. Sometimes it gets scary. Sometimes it looks turbulent and it throws us off a little bit but we have to take some time and we have to reset and we have to stop and we have to be still, know who our God is and say, God, I know you got it under control. I know you got it under control. And we have to rest in that. Okay, would you bow your heads with me, please? If you are in this room and maybe you're a new believer or maybe you're not a believer at all, really, really glad you're here. Up on my right, your left, Pastor Carl is up here. He's one of our small group pastors. And if you want to come up and ask Carl any questions, if you wanna to talk to him a little bit, Carl's a super nice guy, he'd love to talk with you, okay? We also have men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything in your life, please come up here and get prayer. And then the last thing is this. Listen, there's communion all the way around you in this room. Wherever you see a lamp on a table, there is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. I said this earlier, but I wanna say it again. If you have not asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin, if you don't have a relationship with him, or at least wanna have a relationship with him, if you get up and take that communion, all that is is a cracker and juice. The Bible does say, though, if we take it and we haven't asked for God to forgive us of our sins, that we actually take it as condemnation to ourselves. But that will not save you. There's nothing miraculous about the bread and the wine. But if you are in this room and you have asked God to forgive you of your sins, you can get up and you can take that, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and you can understand what it symbolizes. And you can ingest that and you can think that, man, Jesus gave his body for me. Jesus shed his blood for me. He loves me and I can have a relationship with him. And it becomes something very spiritual, very powerful. And all of you are welcome to take that if you want. Let me pray for you though. Father, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you so much, Lord, for everything you've done for us. God, Lord, I love this church. I pray blessings, God, over everyone in this room, Lord. Keep them safe, their relationships, their family, God, their homes, them as individuals, God. Lord, help us not to worry. Help us not to be consumed or distracted by the chaos in the world, Lord, but help us go back to you. Help us go back to your word. Help us rest in your truth, in your sovereignty, in your perfection, God. Lord, let us find comfort in you. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. Pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. God bless you guys. I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thank you.